Hello everybody and welcome to the 14th episode of our podcast. I hope you're all enjoying the wonderful weather we're having. Um, here in Mullingar it has decided to rain again. <laughs> What's new? It's Ireland. This week's subject is in three pieces and I'm not going to tell you about them until I start talking about them. But suffice to say it affects all of us at different times in our lives with different elements in our lives. So what I would ask you to do is just at this moment take a little bit of time to answer the following question or questions even. Do I hold on to anything that I could let go of? Is there something I have that I can let go of? Can I let go of anything that I have either physical or emotional? And what is it like for me to rid myself of something in my life from either the practical level or the emotional level, before, during and after. What I mean by this is if I must get rid of something like say clothes or souvenirs, what is it like before I get rid of them, as I'm thinking about getting rid of them, when I'm actually getting rid of them and after I get rid of them? Now I say clothes, but it can be your car, your house, your toolbox, but something you feel that you have a connection to, an emotional connection. And even if it is an emotion that you're holding on to, say, for example, anger, can I get rid of that anger? And what is it like before I get rid of it, as I get rid of it, and after I get rid of it? So part one of this week's subject is about hoarding. And we're going to go from a very practical point of view but I want you to keep in mind that this can also be used when hoarding emotions. So let's take a little look at hoarding and what it's about. Now hoarding itself is described as the persistent collection of large quantities of objects or emotions. And where discarding or parting with those possessions, regardless of their value, does not happen. Now we know that this can harm a person's quality of life and relationships if it goes too far. And according to the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual, or DSM-5 as most of us know it as, hoarding often involves five main criteria. A person has trouble throwing away items, even if the said items are not needed. A person becomes distressed if they have to throw away their possessions. They will also refuse to recycle, sell or donate these items. The clutter of objects that are collected will make the areas of living very hard. The surrounding environment becomes unsafe and will impair the person's relationships and cause more stress. Most people who hoard will experience many positive emotions when getting items, when they're buying stuff. But ask yourself something. Have you ever bought items in bulk before they're actually needed? For example, buying loads of toilet paper. How many of us bought in excess amount of toilet roll at the beginning of the pandemic? Have you ever picked up free items? Have you ever picked up coupons, even though you're never actually going to use them? Although hoarding is, in some people's eyes, a form of hobby, it is a different form of collecting hobby. Like, it's not like butterfly collecting or stamp collecting. In fact, 
These type of collectors often keep their objects in a display cabinet rather than clustered around the house. We know that a collecting hobby like stamp collecting or butterfly collecting or World War II memorabilia or anything like that, that's not likely to impact your quality of life to the same extent as hoarding does. So what kind of things do people hoard? Well, most hoarders will collect anything and everything. However, the most common objects would include books, magazines, clothing, bags, boxes, even their mail and other forms of paperwork. However, we do know that any item can be hoarded, including animals. We also know that the value of the objects can vary and some objects might be useful but be collected to excess. Would you believe that some items that hoarders collect may even be rotten food or broken figurines? There are people who hoard valuables such as jewellery and they are often mixed in with cheap bling. Even when people do hoard animals, they may fear that the animals would not receive adequate care and attention elsewhere. Most people are in denial that they themselves are neglecting the animals. And no matter what their good intentions are, they often fail to give the animal their most basic need, that is a safe home and food. And sometimes even general care can be an issue. In the worst case scenario, an individual may not even realise that an animal is dead due to hoarding and overcrowding. Why do people do it? I know that some studies have shown that people tend to have stronger emotional ties to objects. And although we have a sentimental attachment to a childhood toy or lucky charm, a lot of hoarders will assign the same value to everyday items. Sometimes people even assign feelings to objects. For example, and this is again worst case scenario, or the extreme, someone may avoid donating a doll or a teddy bear to a charity shop because they don't want to hurt the doll or the teddy bear's feelings. And even if they do manage to donate it to charity, this can cause severe guilt and even grief. When we can't decide and this can be heavily linked to hoarding on a compulsive level. We also learn that when people who are hoarders have made a decision to get, get rid of something or throw something away, it can be a great cause of anxiety. And we know from brain scans that it shows an increased sense of risk when it comes to their own possessions, but not anybody else's. Many people, if they throw something away, they worry in case that they might need it later. So much so that they actually avoid making decisions. How? By keeping everything. And again, other research has shown that hoarding runs in families. Now, of course, this will lead onto the emotional connection if we say that things are handed down from family. But isn't hoarding emotions the very same? If I'm anxious and I hold on to my anxiousness or my panic or my anger or whatever it looks like, and if I look at it and realise that actually my parents were angry or a parent was anxious, isn't that handing it on? Don't we hold on to it? Is that not hoarding to a degree? In the old days, when everybody was poor, they had to struggle to make ends meet. So the next generation were probably very strict with finances. So although no poverty may be handed down, but the fear of being poor was. 
being thrifty may even have become an issue in some households. I must have. So that by being thrifty today is a reaction to that period of hardship triggered in our own generation. We know that a death of a parent or a loved one, especially those remarkably close to us, can lead to hoarding. And in such cases, these objects that are hoarded do offer a sense of stability and comfort. Now, hoarding, although it's a disorder, there sometimes, actually a lot of the time, there are emotional connections or attachments, such as shame due to financial concerns because of excessive buying. But sometimes, and more often than not, if we look at the hoarding, it's about letting go. What am I holding on to may enlighten me as to how I behave. I have to look at what causes me to hold on to something. When we begin to see what we're holding on to, we will ask ourselves, why do I hold on to sadness? Why do I hold on to whatever the emotion is or whatever the possession is? And by looking at these questions, we can also gain insight into what still holds it in place in my life today. What is it do I want to hold on to? And why do I keep adding to it? What's the trigger for this emotion? Comfort eating. Why do I comfort eat? And if I comfort eat, then I'm going to make sure that there's stuff in the fridge or the freezer or in the press. So I'm going to buy more. Maybe it's because an emotion has been triggered, an emotion that I've held onto. So now is the time to let the hoarding stop. Every time you buy something in excess of what you need, ask yourself the question, do I really need this? And if the answer is yes, ask yourself, why do I need it? And if it's an emotion, do I need this emotion? Why do I need to hold on to it? What is stopping me from letting it go? Here's the second subject that I'd like to cover today. And although technically it's not connected to hoarding, it is one that I have been asked to cover and it's called hypochondria. And it has in the past been linked to hoarding, whether that is emotion or object. So let's take a little look at what hypochondria is. How is it described? Well, I've heard it described as an anxiety condition. And another, I suppose, reference, it's also called health anxiety or illness anxiety. Somebody with hypochondria will have a deep fear of injury or illness that other people would consider irrational. Actually, if I was honest, most of us would say to someone like this, oh, for God's sake, get over yourself. It's only a cold or it's only a small spot or if it's only whatever. Don't be stupid. Or even, there's nothing wrong with you. You're overreacting. In fact, people with hypochondria will spend a lot of time in the doctor's surgeries and they will be convinced that they have a serious undiagnosed illness. Now, this can and will seriously affect and impact their daily life. Now, it's most natural to want to avoid contracting an illness or, you know, getting ill. Some of us would actually try very, very hard to avoid being hurt or injured or contracting a disease by maybe washing of our hands or taking vitamins or 
maybe just avoiding people who are ill. However, those with a health anxiety or hypochondria would be almost preoccupied with how they are today or their future health, to the point where every day becomes a nightmare for them. Now, some of the symptoms that would be unique to having anxiety or illness anxiety disorder may include a fear, obviously, of contracting a serious illness or the belief that they have one already, but it's undiagnosed. They feel the need to check on health symptoms very, very often by looking up their symptoms maybe online. Say, for example, if they sneeze, they have to know what it might be. Seeing a doctor or travelling to the A&E on frequent visits. Their fear about illness would last for over six months. So, for example, if somebody is really, really worried about contracting an illness for more than six months, then you have to question it. For those who have health anxiety or hypochondria, emphasis will be placed on fear and worry rather than the illness itself. And while people may visit many doctors in order to find somebody that might give them the right answer or the answer that they need, other people might actually avoid A&E or a healthcare facility or any doctor in case that they actually might be diagnosed with some disastrous disease or illness. We know, for example, that there is no single cause for hypochondria. So you can't pinpoint it with one specific reason. However, environmental factors are thought to play a huge role in causing the health anxiety in the first place. The likes of stress or intense stress and maybe even a history of child abuse. These have all been linked to hypochondria. So here's a little list of some possible causes. Past trauma or neglect. If there has been a history of illness in the family. Maybe a physical symptom without a known cause. Also, maybe another possibility would be somebody who would have general anxiety disorder. The person may also have mental health issues that involve psychosis. Maybe even OCD, obsessive compulsive disorder. Now, as I have said earlier, environmental factors can influence whether a person develops hypochondria because early intervention and prevention are often very important. Now, some of the problems that will arise with continuing intensity of hypochondria is internet medical advice, because this has given people a way to search symptoms and receive free information about health concerns. Now, the problem with this is looking into real or imagined symptoms can only fuel the worry or the distress that a person already feels over a perceived illness or disease. Actually, some people, when researching symptoms online, can have feelings of overwhelming anxiety and fear. That even a headache is caused by a brain tumour, or a cough might indicate cancer. There is an actual word for this, and it's called cyberchondria. And a lot of doctors and medical people are trying to alert people to this possibility. And if we're honest, the vast majority of people will admit that they've looked up their symptoms online, especially if it's a pain or an ache that they haven't felt before. Sometimes a little knowledge is too much knowledge, especially if it's false knowledge. 
the best way to deal with a pain or an ache is going to a professional. And yeah, I hear you. You have to pay them every time you go. But what is more important, the real truth or the perceived truth? How often have we said to somebody who has said they have a pain or an ache, oh, it could be this or it could be that. How many times have we actually said that to people? Why not actually say to your friends, listen, go down to the doctor. They're the ones who will know. They're the ones who have the training for this. And if you're really worried about something, I'll bring you to the doctor and I'll stay with you until you get the results. How many of us will put ourselves out to reduce the worry and fear in somebody else? Or are we too worried about being taken for granted and being used on a regular basis because we don't have the time? Now, I've covered shame before in an earlier podcast, but part of the background of being a hoarder and part of being a hypochondriac is when we know what it is, we feel shame. It's the feeling of being unworthy, being bad or being wrong. And this is very, very uncomfortable for people. And sometimes then we act out of it. We worry and we fear more about our health or we go out and we buy more stuff. So it's like a catch-22. And we know the word shame itself means different things to different people. We know it's different from guilt and embarrassment, as it is usually understood to involve negative feelings about something that we've done, while embarrassment, on the other hand, deals with social reaction. We also know that no matter where we're from or what environmental background we're from or what our geographical background is or whatever, wherever we come from, we all experience shame at some point. We also know that shame can be a very lonely and demoralizing experience for people. Now there is one other piece to this and we have to look at it as individuals who do not hoard or who do not have hypochondria. And it is about the shaming. Shaming is an attempt to make another person feel bad or feel wrong or that they're not good enough. So telling somebody who is fearful of catching a bug or somebody who is excessively buying things to be told that they're wrong without understanding why they're doing it or what's going on for them is wrong. I don't mean standing up and shouting with a microphone and telling everybody about what this person is doing. But even to the person in private about their hoarding or their hypochondria is an attempt to shame them, especially if we do not understand what is causing it or what's going on for that person. So if you do know somebody who's a hypochondriac or who hoards things, or if you yourself are the type of person who hoards emotions, have a little bit of sensitivity. Get to know the person. Get to know what's going on. Be genuine about your care. Genuine caring will be seen and will be accepted. False genuineness or impatience will be met with more feelings of shame, embarrassment and guilt. So in conclusion, I would ask each of you to look at your own life. When you go shopping, do you get more than you need? Just in case. If you're going to somebody who hoards, whether it be with small items or big items. What's your feeling? What do you think about that person? And if you're the type of person who holds on to emotion, 
Why can't you let it go? Why do you need to hold on to what's going on for you? And watch your behavior around that feeling. In other words, get to know yourself. Stay well, stay safe. Namaste.